Good morning. I want to invite our uh, school-aged uh, kiddos to the back with, uh, I know, Miss Tracy and Miss Laurie and Miss Robin, for y'all to have a grand old time back there with them. Uh, Merry Christmas. Um, not all at once, say in the back, please. Um, man, I'm a little grinchy in here today. Uh, um, we're going to be in John 1, if you'll go ahead and turn that in your Bibles. And uh, I am really excited to be with us this morning and for us to be in this passage. I've been in this passage for a few weeks now. And um, you know, preaching an Advent sermon and we've been in the middle of this series out of darkness and thinking about this, this past year and this, just all the craziness it has been just a dark and heavy season and, and the hope of, of Christmas, the hope of the incarnation, the hope of God putting on flesh is the great hope of all Christians across the world. And we've been focusing on these themes, right? This theme of, of longing anticipation and waiting and, and now as we approach the celebration of Christmas day we look at fulfillment the, the gift is here that Jesus did come and did put on flesh and the light as we're going to see today overcame the darkness and so we as the people of God we have every single reason in the world to hope and rejoice and live these lives. But I kept coming back to this kind of thought over and over and over throughout the week. I believe this to be true with all my heart that we have this great hope. But here's my question. Like even this morning, like why is the darkness still so present? Does that make sense? And not just in the world around me. We love to play this game as Christians of like, oh, all these things out there. And those are present, yes and amen. But what I really mean is why is the darkness still so prevalent in me? We were praying this morning and Brandon Bryce was praying with us. And he said this phrase, uh, just the worldly busyness and distractions of this season. And that all resonates with us in this room, I believe. We're all so busy and it's mostly things that are good but not eternal. And I just wrestle why, like even this morning, why am I so distracted and drawn to lesser things? Why are we so prone to these things? And if you look at scripture, we have the answer. You know the answer if you've been in church at all. We know about the fall of man and we know that sin entered the world, right? And sin has done a number on us. Sin has infected us. Sin has affected us. And because of those two things, the infection and that we've been affected, we now look to lesser things. Sin has infected our hearts and our souls. Here's what that means. It means that there's a problem inside of you. It's not just those people. You're those people, right? You're the one who is impatient. You're the one who is selfish. You're the one who are this, 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 and this. Like you are those people. Like you are born, it tells us in scripture, a child of wrath. 
That means you are born with this inherent sin nature that you choose to keep sinning over and over and over again. And the sin distorts everything about us. But we're not just hit with this internal issue. There's also the external issue of sin and the sin of this world has affected us. Here's what I mean. You were born to parents whose sin affected you. And before you judge them too much, your sin is now affecting your kids. That the sins of our parents, all these little parent issues we all have, right? That sin has affected us. The sins of others in our lives, coworkers, friends, neighbors, relatives, all those things, that sin has affected us. It has distorted us. But then also the brokenness, the fallness, the sin of this world has made this world be distorted with death, with sickness, with all these things. So in the midst of this infection and in us being affected, we just settle for lesser things over and over and over again. We look to, to lesser remedies, right? We look to We're in John 1, right? Go to John 1 real quick, uh, verse 6. Kind of jumping right in real quick. So there is this sense Jesus was coming, but people were looking for something else. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest man ever born of woman. This was a great man, but he was not the light. And people were looking for the light. We look to other people for this light. Whether it's a spouse, whether it's a kid, whether it's a a pastor, a leader, a parent, a person. We're looking for this light and many times we settle for a person. Or in looking for this hope, looking for a greater thing, a greater love, a greater security, we look towards, we look towards money, the, the security that money can bring us. We look towards control. We look towards, we look towards good works. That if we can just do this, it'll cure the infection, right? It'll fix the problems of this world and it'll fix our problem as well, if we can just do the right things, if we can just serve enough people, if we can just fix this problem in the world. But here's the thing. Christianity is not simply about doing good things or having a lifestyle change. It's about knowing God. It's about knowing God. And here is the, the key thing I've been praying to this week for us to take away from this sermon. And it's the most preachery point ever. And it's this right here. And I hope you can really hear this this morning. God is love. When we, when we think about the fulfillment of Christ putting on flesh, the essence of that is this point right here. That God is love. You know, I, was, I felt led to, to preach John 1 when Luke brought it up to me a few weeks ago, and I kept studying John 1. I had all these different points about John 1, and they're still kind of there. But I kept coming back to this over and over, this kind of prologue to the book of John was just this picture of Christ, yes, his supremacy, but also in the core of this, just his love for his people. That This grand 
narrative of our world, at the center of this is God's steadfast love for his people. Listen, if we can see, like really see, I pray the distractions of this season of, you know, I know a lot of folks are sick right now. Even in our church are sick right now. And there's so much going on. And I just pray we can push all that aside for a few moments and we can really see that God is love. I pray that we can know and trust that God is love and that we can begin to learn even this week to go towards the right source for everything in our lives. But what, is, what does that mean exactly? Like what, is, what are the attributes of God's love? How do we define God's love? Let's go to John 1. It says here, in the beginning was the word. John comes right with it from the very beginning. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It's our first point today. God's love is eternal. Hear that, friends. God's love is eternal. See, the gospel of John here, it begins with a phrase that we've heard before in the Bible. The first three words of the book echo, echo Genesis 1.1, which says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, John is connecting Jesus with creation. He was claiming that Jesus existed before creation, before the world began. Before there was time, there was God. So if we were to hit the rewind button like on history for a second, we go back to the very beginning when God created the world out of nothing and Jesus was there. In fact, if we went back before God began creation, Jesus was there with God. You know, Jesus himself said this in John, John chapter 17. He said, now, Father, glorify me in your presence, as he's talking to God, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Genesis 1.1 contains no hint of the creation of God. And here in John 1, 1, there is no hint of the creation of Jesus. The Godhead simply was. The other day, Connor was asking me, so, okay, he didn't get this at all. And honestly, I don't either. Like, how, how, how can we as mortal man get that God always was? He's like, so, well, who created God? I was like, it was like, who's on first for a second, me and Connor? I was like, well, God always was. Well, no, 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 who created God? I was like, all right, Connor, we're done with this. He did not get it at all. And I don't blame him. It's, it's, a, it's a bit confusing for us. You know, this is what sets him apart, right? Jesus apart from other so-called gods. Gods made by human hands and invented by human minds. See, our God was not invented by us. Jesus has always existed. In church, that should provide us great comfort today. God has always been and he always will be. He's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. But also, he doesn't change. God's always been, and he doesn't change. James, James 1, verse 17 says this. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
God doesn't change. He is this perfect, steadfast Savior. But see, we, we think of God sometimes, if you, maybe I just do this, you, you get in your mind and you think about the God at the before creation, and we almost think of God as being like this bored God. Like, man, it's just, it's just me and there's the sun, there's the Holy Spirit, and, you know, we need a fourth for our golf game or something like this. And so I've got to do all these things. I'm kind of bored. We think that maybe God is being needy, that he needed us to create us for some reason, or maybe that God is just this angry kind of God. No, God is eternally, from the very, from beginning, he is a, eternally a God who loves. It's the eternal love of the Father for the Son. John 17 verse 24 says this. Jesus praying to the Father again. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, here it comes, because you have loved me from before the foundation of the world. God has eternally loved. God is love. If we miss this eternal love, we miss God. We miss the whole thing if we project anything else besides that point right there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit lived in perfect love with one another, in perfect community with one another. See, this idea of God before creation, right? outside of time, makes God seem super different and super far away and super holy. And that is true. But this idea that God is a father who eternally loves makes God also very near. This is the Lord's prayer, isn't it? God, our father, God, our father, this very intimate expression, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The, the beauty of our, our Christian walk is that we have a father who eternally and perfectly loves his people. But he's also this set-apart, mighty, creator, savior God. God's love is eternal. And it's out of this love, this abounding love, that he creates us and the universe. Go to verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 3. It says here, all things, all things were made through him. There are lots of debates about creation and the world, and we're not going to debate those today, but here, here is the overriding point. All things are made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The divine being before creation gave way to divine action, right? So at one time there was this darkness of the uncreated universe. You ever watch those movies, like space movies? I am more scared of space than anything in this world. And you see the void of just space. And I just kind of crumble. I'm like, oh my gosh. What's that movie with Sandra Bullock? Uh, the one where she's floating away the whole time in space. It's terrifying. And I think about this idea of the void, the darkness. And there was God. And, and that gives me such hope and confidence, doesn't it? That he is always there and always been perfectly loving. 
Before this uncreated universe, the light of Jesus came and created life. Now in this first advent, they were experiencing, there's 400 years of silence, 400 years of darkness. And Jesus comes as the light to give eternal life. The love of the Godhead led to creation. And we inherently get this, I believe, because if you're married and you have kids, if it's done correctly, hopefully, this is done not to fix a marriage or this or that. It's done out of love for one another. You desire to bring new life into the world. It's that inherent remain the image of God coming out in us that we desire to carry on, to create, to abound in love. It's the picture of giving, of giving gifts, isn't it? That's more joyful to give than to receive. I have stuff planned for my kids, and I will tell you, I am that guy. When I was, when I was a little boy, I did not sleep on Christmas Eve because I was so excited to get all of the ridiculous my, my parents gave me. But this Thursday night, I will not sleep because I cannot wait to give my kids their gift. And here's the secret. It's what I want us to understand. That is not a, that, that, that's not on the register of God's love for us. And that love has existed for eternity. Folks, that should lead us to worship of our Savior. So this dark period, there is this sense. We know the story we talked about already. The fall of man. There's all these things happen. The people are far away from God. Then there's darkness. And this eternal love could not just sit there. But our next point is this right here. God's love came near. It didn't just exist apart from us. The love of God spurred him to come near. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the message it says... He moved into the neighborhood. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. See, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me. Because he was before me. See, John gets it. Far from his fullness we have all received. Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. There is this beautiful mystery of this fulfillment, right? How could God become man? You know, some have said this right here, that the word came to, Jesus Christ came to dwell and a man, he did not himself become a man. But John says here, the word became flesh. Now, others have said that Jesus appeared like a man, but he didn't actually take on human form and become a man. He must have been some kind of apparition because it's impossible for God who is spirit to take on bodily form. While this is hard for us to understand how this can happen, we can very clearly see what John writes. The word became flesh. And this is a mystery. 
It's a mystery. It's a beautiful mystery that makes us small and makes God very, very big. See, Jesus putting on flesh is the fulfillment of God's plan. And the step to bring us back into relationship with himself. God has always been life and love and light. He is the source of all good. But this darkness has drawn us away from the light. So God's love came near. God's love is always moving towards us. And here, here is the, kind of the main thought here. Presence matters. If this year has taught us anything, is that the presence of people matter, correct? An actual hug with real people matters. Flesh and blood matters. You know, I, I, I preached on video a few weeks ago for after Thanksgiving, which I'm sure you've all watched. I think it's going viral on YouTube right now as we speak. But there was this point I made about my grandmother and how we haven't seen her in, you know, through a window and stuff through, you know, 10, 10 months or so. And um, it has been unreal to see what the lack of presence has mattered to her. I remember at Mardi Gras, she was the Mardi Gras queen of her nursing home, that little parade. She was the queen and she was my mamaw. If you know my mamaw, you know my mamaw. Leighton knows her. And there was a, that, that was mamaw. And then she was in the hospital about a month ago and I went and saw her and it just, it was devastating to see what the lack of presence of people who love her, how much that matters. This is why God's love came near. Our God puts on flesh and dwelt among us. He moved into the neighborhood. That's why we're so touched at our, at our friends, our missionaries over in Asia. Because they literally left everything behind they know. We have those stories, right? People selling their stuff and forsaking everything to be a bodily presence. Because presence matters. But hear this, our God didn't come just to be present, to be a model. There's this, this new thing where we want to just make Jesus a teacher of moral things. Yes, he was a great teacher. Yes, his way is the way. He is the ultimate picture of true life. We should follow the ways of Jesus. But hear this, he wasn't just a model, he came to rescue He put on flesh to not just show us, but to rescue us. Look at verse 12. It says here, 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 let's go back to verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. He came to rescue people and bring them into the family of God because God's love comes near. This is why our hearts get so excited at these stories of parents going to Africa to be with their child because our hearts resonated, resonate to be rescued. Because our, our God's love is not just, 
He could have just sent a decree down saying, I love you, period, end of story. But he didn't do that. He came near. He put on flesh. This would be like, uh, what's uh, Slips in Seattle? Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan. Great movie, right? Imagine in this movie, Meg Ryan's waiting there, top of the Empire State Building, ready to receive her love, and Tom Hanks sends a text message saying, hey, I love you. I'm not here in person, but know this, I love you. It would fall flat on its face, wouldn't it? Wouldn't be as powerful. This is why movies like Braveheart, we watch Braveheart, and we're so inspired, these men going to battle to rescue freedom, right? All these things. It's a lot different if it's a drone strike that wins the war for them, correct? Because presence matters. And there's this thing inside of all of us that knows that. That presence matters. And here's the good news. This is why all this mess of Christmas exists. Because the eternal, steadfast, perfect, loving God put on flesh and came near to rescue his people for himself. There's this phrase you see twice in, in, in verse 14 and verse 17. It says, full of grace and truth. And in verse 17, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I kept studying this passage. Like, what is this? In the original language, it really means the steadfast love of God. The steadfast love. And that is just really the picture we're giving, we're given at Christmas. It's this picture of the steadfast love of God who created creation out of love for, out of love. And then creation left him, rebelled against him and left him. And they were withering away, away from God. But out of his love, he came near. It's this perfect, steadfast love of God that permeates throughout history. And hear this. It is his steadfast love is the only thing that overcomes the darkness, which is our last point. God's love is the light that has overcome the darkness. Verse 5 says this, the light shines in the darkness. And here's the good news. The darkness has not overcome I was at a church planting thing a few uh, weeks ago, and JD, the director of the network we're part of, he, he shared this story with us about how he watches sports. And <laughs> what he does, he records all the games, DVRs them, and then after it's over, he asks his wife, should I watch this game or not? She says, yes, it means his team won. If she says no, it means his team lost. So as a cowboy said, I would never watch football ever again, apparently. <laughs> But it's this great picture. He can watch the game, enjoy the game because he knows the outcome. And hear this. We as Christians, we as Jesus people, we can live with great hope because we know the outcome. The light has overcome the darkness. And that should give us great hope in the midst of a really hard year. That the light has overcome the darkness. But hear this. We don't just have comfort and hope from that. 
Yes, we do, but we also should have inspiration. Because if the light has overcome the darkness, then we as a people should be ambassadors, should be working with God to help put out the darkness. That means this right here, we should not be okay with just doing things of the world. But it means that we as the people of the light, where there is darkness, we should bring the light in word and in deed. So two questions for us as we kind of wrap this up. And here is the first, as we think about this idea of him being the light that overcomes the darkness. First question, what do you fear? Like what, at at night, if this thing happened, you'd be toast, right? What do you fear? Here's my challenge. Whatever that thing is, I would encourage, I'd love it if you just got your card out and just may put in one word or, or one phrase. Listen, this is a private thing. There's not a ton of, there, there's our eyes on this. That's it. What is that one thing, the darkness that leaves you in fear? Because that is where God wants to do work in your life. Where he wants his light to overcome the darkness. And bring peace and hope to your life. It's the first question. Second question. Where are you broken for things in this world? Like when you, when you look at the news, look at your neighborhood, your workplace. What are the things that just leave you devastated at the effects of the darkness? Well, God has placed light in you. To be light in the midst of darkness. So here's my encouragement for us today. As we think through the love of God. Three things. First, if we see his love, your step they might be just to surrender to his love. That you have, you've seen this, you're prone to give yourself to lesser loves, to lesser things to things of the darkness. You have to surrender the sin inside your own life, confess that, be done with that, and then give up the things outside of your life as well and give it all for the sake of his love because love is better than life. Second, walk in his love. Walk in his love. I would encourage all of us this week as we're kind of Gearing towards Christmas, yes, read the Christmas narratives in Scripture of how he was born, yes, and amen. But I encourage all of us to read John 14 through 17 this week. If you want to see a a picture of Jesus talking to the Father about their love for each other and for us, it will lift your spirits towards the truth, which is that God has eternally and steadfastly loved his people. Walk in his love. Last thing. Spread his love. If we have this great hope, if we, if we know of the lights of Jesus, go and spread the good news to every sphere of your life. But it starts really in your own household, with your family this week, with your spouse, your kids, your sister, your brother, your mother, your father, your uncle, your aunt, your grandmother, your strange neighbor, those people are the ones who need to see the love of Christ in you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this morning. 
Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the love that has overcome my sin. Father, draw men and women to you today. And let us be quick to respond to you. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be in the back if you want to pray with someone.